sermon podcast of Dan Roschke, pastor of Bethlehem Lutheran Church in Fairfax, Virginia. For more information about Bethlehem, visit our website at blclife.org. But now, here's Pastor Dan and his sermon for today. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So I don't usually like to speak about process when it comes to sermons. In fact, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when preachers get up and be like, when I looked at the text early this week, I thought to myself, just and take you through their whole process. I just tell us what you're going to say, right? But <laughs> I'm breaking that practice this week because this text has haunted me in terms of how to interpret it. There's there's two different interpretations that I find. And so I'm I've decided to model a dialogical process here today where scripture is held in tension, but grace drips through. <laughs> like holding a wet Washcloth over your head. Grace drips through. Two different interpretations. I I think that's helpful. Our Jewish siblings have something known as midrash. Don't you love midrash? Midrash is where you have a giant page of scripture in the center, ancient scripture, and then four different interpretations, let's say, sometimes more, sometimes less, are surrounding the holy words of scripture. And the whole page is actually Holy Scripture. It, it's meant mid. It's different commentaries that are not always in agreement, um, not always exact, but instead they're dialogical, and that's the most important thing. They're in dialogue with one another, and that's most important. And it leaves interpretation in the hands of the reader. It's a rather empowering concept, and it's a way of teaching and offering different insights and let the text continue to live. So I want to offer you two ways of reading this text for today, the parable of the talents from the Gospel of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and essentially leave interpretation of this passage in your hands. The first interpretation of the passage is the traditional way, where God is the property owner, God is the master who entrusts talents to us, We're taught then in this lesson that we had better put our talents to use. Some might refer to that as investing our riches wisely. And it harkens back to last week's parable about the uh, wise and the foolish bridesmaids. Don't, Don't be foolish. Be wise. Invest your riches. Invest what God has given you wisely. Some have even taken this text so far as to justify making smart investments with their money. Jesus said here in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 25 that we should make lots of money by investing it. Look at the story. There's nothing wrong, friends, with making smart investments with our money. I think we're all trying to do that, or many of us are trying to do that at some level. But trying to back it up, trying to back up investing and particularly money-making with this text is where it gets a little questionable. Nevertheless, there are good things in this interpretation. 
And I can tell you that many pastors around the world today, around our synod today, are preaching sermons on this parable from this traditional point of view, not even offering another perspective or way of thinking about it. They're talking about how we ought to take what God has given us freely and use it wisely. Don't be like that third slave. Finger-waggy sermon. Over. Amen. (laughs) Couple interesting points here. There's good stuff here. When we understand this story like this, and most of us do, I I think our prayers and our worship service, our hymns, it's just there's this assumption. God is the master. God is the landowner who hands out good things. We notice, when we look at it like this, that nothing is required of the servants. The gift is just given to them freely. There's no warning of a return for an accounting or an instruction list for what to do with the talents. They're just given. It's beautiful language of grace. It's just handed. God freely gives us so many things, right? God reaches out to us first with no instruction list for what to do with what we've been given. I suppose we could carry this interpretation through and argue that when we use our gifts, our talents wisely, we will indeed enter into the joy of our master, enter into lives of joyful service, service honoring God and and praising God who continues to shower us with even more blessings and more blessings. You've been faithful in, in these things, the master says. Here's even more to be faithful with. But the problem is, with this interpretation, the problem is, more times than not, I'm like the third slave. I'm unwilling to use everything God has given me. I'm unwilling to take risks in order to give honor to my master. I'm unwilling to put it all out there. And I'm more inclined to bury my gifts, my talents, my head in the dirt. In other words, the problem is, if we go with this interpretation, the problem is I'm sinful. And look what happens to the sinful one. He's thrown out into the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 28. You better use what God has given you or else. Where's the love? Where's the mercy? Where's the forgiveness? Where is the grace in this interpretation? That's what must be proclaimed after all. In fact, I've said this before, if you fail to hear words of grace and forgiveness coming from me as your preacher in this Lutheran pulpit, then I have failed to preach the gospel, and I am in violation of my call. I'm in violation of the vows I took in my ordination. If I do that on purpose, (laughs) I'm sure I've done it, you know, on accident, or I've come up short, and I pray for grace and forgiveness and mercy. But but if I just say, this is it, folks, (laughs) there's no gospel here, amen, you know. So what do we do with this text? Actually, speaking of there's no gospel here, I was talking to Pastor Alex about this text this last week. We're both wrestling with it. And he shared that he went to a conference this week and he heard a bishop preach 
and um, ELCA bishop from Ohio, and and she said exactly that. She said, there's no gospel here, but she went on to preach about God's love and God's grace, and so that was the sermon. If I didn't have another interpretation to hold up here, which I'm about to, then I'd say that the gospel does need to be inserted into this text, or certainly squeezed out, and that's the trick for today. This is what my seminary professors referred to as preaching against the text. The gospel needs to be inserted. That's a profound and frightening concept on one hand. As a preacher, it's a scary thing to do to preach against the Bible. But there is solid theological reasoning for doing so. The gospel must be proclaimed. Our God doesn't just live confined in the pages of Scripture. Our God is alive and in this world. It's a little like that Midrash idea. It's, it's a, what's happening above the pages of Scripture that's most important. The gospel is what's most important, and it must be proclaimed. So let me lift up another interpretation. Multiple scholars have noted that Jesus, in his storytelling here, never identifies the master owner as the God figure. That's a leap that we made. A little background before I say more about this interpret alternative interpretation. Today, we live in a culture here in the United States where goods seem to be unlimited and unconnected to the well-being of anyone else. So, for example, if I take a five-minute extra shower with hot water, it doesn't affect you one way or the other. It's not like I'm taking hot water from you, or so it seems. It does seem so in our house. <laughs> but it doesn't seem so for those of you in, a, in other homes. If I take the last bag of potatoes at the grocery store, well, I mean, that's annoying. But you could just go to another store or you could wait till the shelves get restocked. If I make more money than you, good for me. It's not like I'm taking money away from you, right? It seems as though goods are unlimited today. But that's not how it was in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, the pie was much smaller. And goods are actually unlimited, even if we act like they're not. But the pie in Jesus' day was much smaller. So to take extra hot water for myself was to take it away from you. To take the last bag of potatoes for myself was practically stealing from others. And in the same way, to make more money than I need to live was seen as immoral and simply wrong. It's a limited good society. Okay, so if... We take that cultural tidbit of information to this text, we see that all those who invested the talents were the villains of this story. The first two slaves and certainly the wealthy entruster. By the way, the, the, well, the master is giving talents, five talents, was the equivalent to 15 to 20 years of labor. So we are talking about an extraordinary amount of money here. Hundreds of thousands of dollars today. The first two slaves were seen in that period of time as stealing from the community. Taking more for themselves and, beha and on behalf of their master than they needed. 
The third servant then, in this alternative interpretation, the third servant then, the one who buried the talents in the ground, was doing the honorable thing, and for that he was punished. He was refusing to go along with the oppressive systems of that day, and for that he was thrown out into the outer darkness. A few scholars are interpreting this way, namely Warren Carter, and I say his name because uh, he's the the author of our Bible study uh, guidebook as we go through the book of Revelation, Warren Carter. So the story just cuts off at this point in our lectionary appointment. Um, But Jesus goes on, and we'll hear this next week in the text in chapter 25. He goes on and he talks about caring for the least of these. The very last parts of this chapter are those famous verses, Lord, when did we see you naked or in prison or sick or hungry? And Jesus responds, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. It's a very interesting flip, isn't it, on understanding, on interpreting this text? I want to encourage you, go back after worship today and read this text with this other angle. Look at the picture on the cover of our worship folder for today with this other angle where Jesus never identifies the wealthy man as God or as Jesus himself. And read this instead as if Jesus is siding with the one who is thrown into the outer darkness. There we find grace for sure. If we keep reading too. There we find forgiveness and mercy There we find the love of Christ that otherwise, dare I say in the story, seems to be missing. So where do you come down? Which interpretation? Or can you hold the two in tension over this glorious parable? I've done some things here in this sermon. I've tried to model for you a dialogical method of reading, of squeezing out grace using two very different interpretations. I am trying to suggest that maybe what the text actually means isn't as important as where the text leads us. Luther said that Scripture was holy only in that it pointed, it leads us to Christ. He was very clear about saying that Scripture itself is not our God, but it was most precious because it's how we learn of God. He called it the Scripture is the cradle of Christ. You preach against the cradle, but not against Christ himself. I'm trying to show you today um, that from the first interpretation, we're reminded of how God gives freely to us. That's good. God grants us so many things and calls us to use them well, invest them well. And from the second interpretation, we conclude that Jesus always sides with those who are thrown into the outer darkness, with those who are broken, with those who are afraid. Many days, that's you and that's me. Every day, God is with us, and especially in the most painful of times. What does Jesus say at the very end of the whole Gospel of Matthew? Lo, I'm with you always. Every day, God is with us, and even and especially in the most painful of times. So, siblings in Christ, it is good to proclaim to you that we are not lost, for Christ is with us. 
that we are not left outside in the dark cold, that the fires will not consume us, for we are a part of the blessed community, the family of Christ. We all, all, all are. Always forgiven first, and then invited into joyful lives of humble service and justice second. Praise be to God and thanksgiving this day and this week and this lifetime. Amen. at Bethlehem Lutheran Church, thank you for listening. Check us out again soon. And to learn more about our national church body, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, visit elca.org. Goodbye for now. And remember, God's outpouring of grace and peace never runs dry. Here's to a new day. Evangelical. That was terrible. To learn more about our national church body. Start over, the... start over. <laughs> okay. Is that hard? No, not really. Pretty easy? Yeah. You could edit.